Acts chapter 4. I want to look at the, the church and the power of prayer as the title of it, but Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And you all just sat down. All right, I know. Would you go ahead and stand with me one more time in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Uh, it says here in verse 1, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, is not for, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in, in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotus and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. It says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come before your throne of grace and know that we are heard when we lift our voices up in prayer. And what I think specifically when it comes to the purpose of the church, what you do as your people pray. I pray that you'd meet with us tonight in a special way, not only in the message, but as we spend some time uh, in prayer at the conclusion. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Boy, I, this portion of scripture, I, I, I love the book of Acts and I especially, especially like the way it begins. Here's the Lord about ready to ascend uh, or he ascends up into heaven. Before he does it, he leaves his disciples with a few words and those that would be left behind. And it was a pretty amazing thing uh, going to Jerusalem and uh, being on top of the Mount of Olivet and knowing that that's where the Lord ascended up into glory. And uh, he's coming back in a like manner. Amen. He's coming back in like manner. I think of all that's going on in, in uh, Israel and all the, the, the things that are going on. Been going on for a long time. Seemed to die down a little bit, pick back up. And I cannot help but think that uh, of the, the, the prophecies in Revelations when it tells about the Antichrist come as a part of the tribulation and he'll bring peace for a period of time. He'll bring peace for a period of time. And as I watch all that's happening unfolding, I wonder, Lord, I wonder how close we are. I wonder how close we are to that person who brings, up the, brings about that peace and promises that it's that peace. And I wonder how close we are. We don't know. Matter of fact, the Lord specifically says in this passage of Scripture, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons, verse 7, which the Father hath put in his own power. If you ever tell someone, if you ever hear someone give a date to it, turn them off in the, real quick, all right? And the Lord's very specific. No man knows that time, that specific time. But, but we know that God knows, and we know he's coming one day. But in the middle of it, he gives us that, that commission. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. He reminds them what he's leaving them behind for. He's leaving them behind for the sake of the gospel, to go with the gospel, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You'll see that unfold as you read the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts really doesn't have a real clear-cut conclusion. Uh, a matter of fact, if you go to the end of the book of Acts and you look at it compared to other books of the Bible, it's, it's almost like rather than cl- concluding, it kind of drifts off a little bit. And I, I think because uh, though we're not in the apostolic age in terms of the works of the apostles and the sign gifts, the work of the church is still moving on. The work of the church is still moving on. But um, he reminds them that they're to go. And in the first few chapters, we'll see them in Jerusalem and many being saved, 3,000, and then adding to the church and multiplied. And then you'll see them, uh, then you'll see God scatter them through persecution into the uttermost parts of the world. I think it's Acts chapter 17 where the disciples are being accused or some are being disaccused. These are those that have turned the world upside down. And they had gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and were now in the uttermost parts of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was using them for a tremendous purpose to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I are here tonight, uh, even from a historical standpoint, from what God did in the life of Paul as he sent them with the gospel into Europe and into Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the Christian world, the Western world, all began, if you will, with Paul as God sent him into Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We sit here tonight because of what unfolded in the book of Acts. But as you read through the book of Acts, you have to ask yourself, where is the power for the church come? How does God do such a tremendous thing? What is it that brought that about? And I think as you read the book of Acts, there's no question that it was the Holy Spirit of God at work, but What was it that brought that about in the lives of his people? And I think the running theme of it through Scripture is prayer. The running theme is prayer. I think as we head in, I think of terms of a ministry, the importance of prayer. Uh, Individuals lifting their voice up before God. Churches lifting up their voice before God and, and seeking his aid and seeking his help. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. The church in its early stages, in its early ages, it says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord and in prayer and in supplication. They, be, they, they began that, and you see prayer in the very beginning of the ministry. They were in prayer. They were lifting up their voices before God. They were waiting on God. They were waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. God had told them they were to go, but they were there in one accord. They were waiting. They were praying. They were seeking the aid and seeking the help of God, and they were lifting their voice up before the Lord. And you know how it would all unfold as you go to Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit of God came down. But the importance of prayer. You know, a lot of times we give a lot of thought to a lot of other things. We give thought to the way we organize things. We give thought to the way things are given. We give things thought to the way things look. And we give great thought to the details of it all. But I think the most important thing is prayer. I would say that we live in a day and age when people look for more methods and better methods and different ideas and on how to do ministry. Uh, and really what's needed more than new means and new methods is more power from God. And uh, I think oftentimes it is the fault. I, I think I, I, would, I, I would rather, I, I think it is more profitable to spend an hour in prayer than it is hours on, on whether it's PowerPoints or all of those things. I'm thankful for the ones we have. Miss Kaylee does it, all right, because I'm really not that good at it, all right? And, uh, but, I, but I think of how important it is, more important than method, it is prayer. Method should be in line with Scripture, but how important prayer is. When you look to the early church, you see them in prayer, even in its early stages, calling upon God, seeking his aid, seeking his help. And over and over again, we see it in the beginning. We see prayer in the face of opposition in the book of Acts. 
Skip ahead to chapter 4, if you would, in verse 23. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. And if you were to read this, this chapter and this story here, you'd see Peter and John, and uh, they would be headed into, uh, up into the, the temple, into the synagogue, and they'd be go to prayer, and there would be a man who was lame, and he was calling out for alms. And uh, as he called out, Peter would say, Silver and gold have I, none, have I none, but such as I have I give thee. And in the name of Jesus, he would say, Rise up and walk, and the man would be healed. And I picture that council hearing this news and the anger that had to run through their body. They thought they were done with Jesus. They thought they had crucified him, they had buried him, and it was over. And then the next thing you know, they hear of many getting saved at Pentecost, and now they say they see this healing work continue. And as a result of it, they take Peter and John and they throw them into prison. They drag them before the council and a statement they make about them. They could see that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they marveled that they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. But immediately as they're let go, you see them go back to the church. And in verse 23, you see what the church does. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever, notice what it says here, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. It's amazing when I read their prayer, they recognize that in the, though the heathen rage and the kings rose up against Jesus, all that they could really do was accomplish God's will and God's purpose to bring him to Calvary. I think that's unfolding still in Israel today. Well, they can rise up and do all they want, but they're not going to stop the hand of God and God's work. Verse 28, you can see them continue to pray. Or in verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servant that with all boldness they may speak thy word. It says here, By stretching forth of thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And when they had prayed... They prayed at the start or in the, in the early stages of the church. Now they prayed in the face of opposition and they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And you see, as a result of that Holy Spirit filling, they went out and spake the word of God with boldness. You know, it didn't, it, I, they, because, uh, because of their prayer, because of that Spirit's filling, they went out. I, I think many times we think our witness is determined on a person, our personality, but our witness is really determined by the personality of the Holy Spirit in us. What he's doing in us and what he's doing through us is where God works, not just bound up in who we are, how our personality, but his. But it all stopped, happened because they, they prayed. You notice in that prayer, as you read about the opposition they face, the threats they face, the recognition of the world, they never ask God to change the circumstance. They never ask God to change the circumstance. It's pretty incredible. When I read that prayer, I don't know about you, but if I'd just been uh, thrown, almost thrown in jail and told not to go preach God's word anymore, I, I think I'd be saying, hey, God, you need to get rid of that fella. They're going to stop us from doing your work. Or you need to make it easier on us. You need to do that. But that's not what they asked for. What they asked for was boldness. They asked for God to work in their heart and in their life. 
And I think how important it is for the church in the face of opposition or struggles in our life, not merely to ask for the circumstances to change, but the power of God to work in our life. I think we're not careful as Christians. We spend more time asking God to change the circumstance than we do asking God to work through us in the circumstance. God, God doesn't need the circumstances to be perfect to do a work. He needs his people to be yielded to him and seeking his aid and seeking his help. And you see that in this church. They weren't saying, Lord, change the circumstance. And they were saying, Lord, change us. Use us. As we walk out of here, let us be used by God. Let us be filled with your spirit. And uh, he would say in that, that verse, And now, Lord, verse 29, Behold their threatenings and grant thy service that with all boldness they may speak your word. Let us go out with boldness. I think of when it comes to the church, the importance of prayer. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now about the time that Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four quatrains of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know what the church did when Peter was thrown in prison? They began to pray. And you know the story. The Lord would lead Peter right out of jail. He would send an angel and open the doors and Peter would show up where the church was praying and uh, the, the maid would come to the door, Rhoda would come to the door and, uh, and she would see him and... Uh, Forgive me, ladies, she must have been blonde, all right? And there's a few, I'm sorry, Miss Lydia, all right? Yeah. She screamed, hollered when she saw him, turned around and ran back in and left him outside at the door, all right? And she ran back in, she told him he, it was him, and they said, no, I don't think so. And uh, that's there in the Greek, if you would, all right? No, I don't think so. And they even said, well, maybe it's an angel that you've seen, but we don't think it's Peter. And finally they went out and they found Peter still at the door because of prayer. Because of prayer. You know, they, they didn't, what they did, they couldn't do much, but what they could do is they prayed and God answered it. I think of the incredible importance of prayer, not only personally, but for the church. The church. To spend time in prayer. They prayed in the, they prayed in the early stages of the church. They prayed in the face of opposition. They prayed for the message to go forth. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and Paul would write back to that church at Thessalonica in the face of all the persecution that they would face. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> it says this. Finally, brethren, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. And be glorified even as it is with you. He would say, you know, pray for us. Pray for the work of God. Pray for the message to go forward. He goes, and he would write to that Thessalonican church. He goes, I want God to do where I'm at what he's done in you. He said to the Thessalonians, he said, your life has been changed. I showed up and, and God used me to preach the gospel in Thessalonica. You're, you came to know Christ. And he would say those words that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is you. He goes, the word of God has been glorified because it has transformed your life. 
the scripture had free course. It went forward. It was heard. It was received. And, and he said it was glorified in your life. And here I am writing back to a church uh, that is going on for the Lord because of what God's word did in your life. And he goes, I am praying that God would continue to do that like he did it there where I am now. You know what every work of God needs? Prayer. Every work of God needs prayer. And the importance of that, I think of whether it's inside of a Sunday school class or whether it's on a bus route, whether it's what happened up the street in Master Club tonight or in the youth ministry, what will happen inside of a service here. You know, our business is the Word of God, isn't it? It is the Word of God. It is, it is uh, sending forth the gospel of the word of God to the lost and discipling the saved in the word of God. Without the word of God, we have no purpose. <laughs> and he said, I'm saying, send it, let it have free course, let it change hearts, let it change lives. And where does that all happen? Where does it all begin? For the church on its knees. In prayer. Seeking God's aids, seeking God's help. Letting God's work do a work in somebody's life. Prayer. I think if we're not careful, we can get very busy with doing things in life and forget to pray. We can spend so much time doing the work of the ministry that we don't pray for God to do a work in the ministry. We'll spend more time prepping something than we will be praying for it. And I think... You ought to spend time prepping a Sunday school lesson, but before you do all that, you ought to spend time in prayer. The importance of it. In John 15, 16, the Lord would say to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And then he makes this statement, same sentence, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I don't think it's a mistake of God that he would tie prayer to fruit bearing. It's a mistake. He said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatsoever you may ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He tied the two together. The importance of prayer for the work of God. Regardless of the work, the work ought to be bathed in prayer. I think of this coming Sunday and homecoming Sunday and uh, Super Saturday that'll go forth. I think of a Sunday or a, a school that's happening Monday through Friday. I think of buses that'll run and junior churches that'll happen, Sunday school classes that will be taught, kids' choirs and junior choirs. I think of master clubs and youth ministry and, and all of the different ministries that go on here, whether it's on a weekend, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's on a Wednesday, whether it's through the week. Scripture assembly, and what do they need? They need labors, but they need prayer. The Lord highlights that in His Word. God, not just, not we should pray. They prayed in the early stages. They prayed in the face of opposition. They prayed for the message to go forth. Prayer for labors. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. And look at these verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> And verse 8, verse 11 is the verse that catches my attention, but read into verse one, eight, from 8 into verse uh, 11. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Boy, he said, I, we thought we were even going to die. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves 
but in God which raiseth the dead. Amen. Verse 10, who hath delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Then verse 11, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the, by the means of many persons, thanks many be given by many on our behalf. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Notice Paul, Paul highlights this. We despaired even of death. We thought we were going to die, but, but we trusted in God who, who rose again. And he said, but I tell you what helped us along our way. Your prayer. Paul knew something about the ministry that he was in. He didn't do it alone. He didn't do it on his own. It was by the strength of God. It wasn't on his prayers alone that propelled him forward. It was on the prayers of his people. My brother sent me a link and he was asking me what I thought of it. And it was a, a missions agency that was not a missions agency, really. It was a, a website that was trying to get people to give support directly to the missionary without the missionary going to the churches. And he asked me what I thought of that. And um, I said, I really don't think much of it. All right. I don't think it's very biblical. But I said, it's not just money that gets a missionary to the mission field. It's not just money that keeps a missionary on the mission field. It is prayer. And I think that method misses something very important. A praying church. A praying church. And this, here's Paul. He's speaking here in this passage of scripture. He says, he goes, I know how we kept going. And I know while I'm still here, it's because you helped us with your prayer. I, I believe this. It's not just the, the one who runs a bus that matters. It's not just the one who's teaching a Sunday school class that matters. It's not just the one who's standing behind a pulpit preaching that matters. It's not just the one knocking on someone's door that matters. It's the one that is in prayer that matters as well. The desperate need for prayer. I think as we, I think of this, I think of some of our senior saints maybe that will say, hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't do what I, what I used to did, what do. Well, I can tell you what I would love for you to do is pray, 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 and pray again. He says to pray for the labors. I can tell you this, something I would greatly appreciate, which I know many of you do because you, you message me, but prayer. I know what I would covet for our staff, prayer. I know what I would covet for our Sunday school teachers and, and teachers in our school, prayer. I know what I would covet for each of us, prayer. He said, you helped us together. You helped us in your prayer, he said in that verse again, uh, verse 11, ye also helping us together by prayer for us. And, and I think how important it is that we would pray for the laborers who labor even when we are not able to go. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul would say this, brethren, pray for us. Not only for the laborers that are there that God would send, but that God would send forth more laborers. You know the verse, Luke 10, 2. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I pray this, that God will keep the laborers on the field and that he'll send more laborers to the field. Whether that's here locally or whether it's far apart, I'm tired of hearing them come out. <laughs> Makes me sick to my stomach every time I hear it. Someone's out because of some circumstance. And, and I think of how desperately we need more and not less. Prayer. The importance and the difference that it makes in our lives and in the ministry. 
I think of John, not only do we see God, not only do we see prayer in the beginning, in the early stages, prayer in the face of opposition, but prayer for, and prayer for the message to go forth and prayer for labors, but we see prayer for provision. Go back to John chapter 14 and John chapter 14, the Lord preparing his disciples for what's about to happen, his crucifixion, his, his resurrection and his ascension into glory. And he, he gives them an incredible promise here. In John chapter 14, as he prepares them for this, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, in verse 12 of chapter 14, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I, be, shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That verse is an amazing verse. God says, you're going to be do greater things than I did while I was here. And I think he was talking about bringing folks to Christ. I think there's a bigger miracle than feeding 5,000 or saying, peace be still, and the, call, the sea's calm. I think there's a bigger miracle than, uh, than, than turning water into wine. I think the bigger miracle is when a man's life is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the world, when Jesus ascended up into glory, he had about 120 or so in that upper room. But in a few short days, Peter would preach and 3,000 would be added to the church and many more. And I think that's what God meant when he said here in verse 12, he said, greater things will you do. God was going to do greater things. And he gave them this promise in verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What does God promise there in that passage of Scripture? He promises the provision of God as the people of God do the will of God. His provision for the ministry, his provision for what is needed. And we see God giving that promise here. He said, I, I want greater things from you. We will see greater things from you than, than we're seeing in my lifetime. And there would be miracles that would, God would use those sign gifts and God would continue to do miracles through some of those apostles until they passed off the scene in order to confirm the scripture and uh, the early church and what God was doing. There, there would be miracles that would happen, but none like the miracle of a man's life being changed. And those miracles are still happening. When someone's life is to change. And what does God promise in this passage of Scripture? He's looking at his disciples and he said, you're going. But I'm telling you, ask as you go about my business and I will provide for you. Ask. You know, there's no question that ministry needs the, the material provisions to do the things that it does in life. And I think, where does that begin? It doesn't just begin with what I put in an offering plate. It begins with what I ask for on my knees. Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you. There is the promise. And it all comes back to the prayer of God's people. We see prayer for each other. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And uh, go back here to Luke chapter 22, if you would. And I'll be finished. And I'd like to spend some time in prayer tonight. But Luke chapter 22. And you know these verses. I, I've referenced them pretty often. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. It says here in this verse. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee. Boy, talk about an example in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, my human nature is that if I were Jesus, the last thing I would have been doing was praying for Peter. <laughs> I probably would have been a little aggravated with Peter, knowing what was coming. Because we know what Peter had seen. Peter had walked with the Lord for three years. 
He had seen the miracles of God. He had seen the, the three, 5,000 fed on one occasion, 4,000 on another. He had seen the lame made to walk, blind made to see. He had heard the Lord say, peace be still. He had confessed, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And yet God was warning him in this passage of scripture, you're about to deny me three times. Three times. He said, you are going to look at my, my, the hour of my greatest need and you will curse me and deny me. But the Lord looked at Peter. Now, you and I, I think for most of us, if we knew someone who had walked so close, closely was going to curse us and deny us, we'd be probably praying for God's judgment on them. That's what we'd probably pray. But what God said is, Simon, Simon, Satan hath the desire to have thee that he might sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What was God doing? He's praying for Peter. Jesus was lifting up in prayer and said, Lord, I don't want him. I know he's going to fall, but don't let him fall away. I know he's going to deny me three times, but dear God, we don't want him to fall away. They prayed for one another. I think of how important it is for God's people to be in prayer for one another. The Lord set the perfect example in this passage of scripture. And he said, I'm going to pray for you that your faith would not fail. And, and I would ask you tonight, Christian, I'd ask you this. Who are you praying for that their faith would not fail? Who are you praying for that their faith would not fail? And uh, I, I, think, I, think, I think each of us ought to be praying for one another. Lord, keep us strong. Keep our faith strong. Keep us from failing. Keep us from going down. Lord, we, we live in an awful world, don't we? We live in an awful world. We're, we're often speaking of how awful it is, right? We watch the news. What an awful world. We kick at the TV. We holler about it. We declare it. But are we praying for one another? Well, I, I get convicted when I read this passage of Scripture. I pray often for my children. Often. Well, I look at some of the things that are going on in the world, and I get scared to death. And I think of the song, Because He Lives, and that, that, that uh, second verse, uh, Because He Lives. We know he, we hold, who holds tomorrow. We know he's got that under control. But I'll pray, dear God, keep him from sin. Keep him from temptation. Keep him from harm. Keep him from, from falling into some sin that will destroy their life. But do we pray that for one another? Do we lift each other up in prayer? I think, I think Christian, we should. Hey, Samuel would say it in the Old Testament. God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to what? Pray for you. God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. And the importance of prayer in our life, our, our lifting up, I think of this, the staff of the church, the people of the church, I would encourage you to take some time in the week and pray for those that are sitting around you in church. Pray for those that are sitting around you in church. If you're in prayer, just think about, these are the ones, we know everybody's got their normal seats. Pray for those folks that are sitting around you. Dear God, keep them serving God. I don't know what they're going to face this week, but I pray that you keep them from sin, keep them serving, strengthen them as they go about their week, praying for one another. I would say that in our world, we desperately, desperately need it. The Lord would say in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, and he would say, upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against it. Now think about those gates of hell for a moment. I'm thankful for that promise. It reminds me the church is going on until Jesus comes. Amen. It's going on when there's going to be a rapture for a reason because we're still going to be going on. He's going to call us up out of this world. 
But the gates of hell that he spoke about, he was there in the coast of Caesarea Philippi on the outskirts of the town. And in that town, there was the temple to the god Pan. And uh, at some course throughout the history, there would be idol worship in there. And that, that was built at one of the sources of the Jordan River. And over that, uh, over the source of that, and that temple was built there. And they would go sacrifice, have human sacrifices, and throw those, throw those children and adults down into the water where, those, where the water came up and watch them die. And they wouldn't think the sacrifice sacrifice was sufficient until the water ran pink with the blood of those they sacrificed. Horrible. Temple prostitution would unfold in that place. And every form of wickedness that you can imagine would unfold in that place. And God stood on the outside and he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. What an incredible promise. But the wickedness of our world still marches on. Now I'm thankful for God's promise. But God's people need, need the prayer of God's people. The aid of God's people. Lifting them up in prayer. I, I think of as a church, and what I would ask of tonight is we spend some time in prayer. There's some health needs and things of that nature in that bulletin. But would you spend time in prayer for your church? The people who sit next to you, the Sunday school teacher that you go to class with, your bus workers, your teachers your staff, the work of the church on Sunday, come homecoming, uh, our, our super Saturday, because I will tell you this, it hinges on the prayers of God's people. The church hinges, God uses the prayers of God's people. That God would strengthen us, God would aid us, that God would use us. Well, you pray tonight as we split up in prayer, there's some health needs listed but lift up the ministries that you are familiar with. The ones that you serve in, the teacher, Sunday school teacher have, your preacher, your staff, the school, those bus workers, those missionaries, those are missionaries as you think of them as they come to mind, our folks in Master Club and Youth Ministry. But pray for the ministry tonight. Pray for the church tonight. And then pray for this weekend. Ask the Lord that he would use us on our Super Saturday. Uh, I, I love the testimony of Miss Jean. Didn't realize this, Miss Jean Stapleton. I didn't realize that she used to live in the in the youth house when it was a duplex before the church owned it, and she moved into that duplex there in the corner. And as a result of that, she ended up coming to church. She trusted Christ as her Savior in some 60, in 1965. Friend, I would love to hear someone this Sunday that would come to know Christ from our community. Someone knocked on their door, invited to church, came and trusted Christ as their Savior. And went on to serve the Lord with their life. And I think it begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. Let's take some time and we'll split up. And I'm not going to have a big invitation, but I would like to spend some time in prayer tonight. And I'm going to split up. I'll close out with prayer here in just a few minutes. But find yourself a place. Think of the ministries and pray for them tonight. Spend the next few minutes in prayer this evening, if you will.